The world is changing fast, with disruptions of food, commerce and social connection altering our lives in the most profound ways. This global pandemic makes one thing abundantly clear. Your health needs to be a priority, not just someday, but right now. Among the major risk factors for infections of all kinds, including coronaviruses, are obesity, heart disease, asthma, type 2 diabetes and other chronic illnesses. The modern Western diet is a recipe for the very conditions that make us all vulnerable. We don't want you or the people you love to be victims of a toxic food culture, especially now, and we want to help keep you safe. This week's episode is supported by the Food Revolution Summit, a free summit where you'll get the most up-to-date research and information about food, nutrition, disease prevention, immune health, and environmental stewardship. It's time for a food revolution. Click on the link in the description and grab your free seat. All this food that's being wasted, the way we dispose of that as well is, is completely wrong. If we compost that, that we're literally throwing away soil because it can break down into soil. And then that soil getting put back on the land is fertile and then can sequest more carbon. And so that is just a broken system altogether. We need to be looking at more closed loop systems where it avoids the bin. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. On this week's episode, we have the fascinating, interesting young man who's an urban farmer, Jack Hodgson. He's a permaculture designer and a grower from Essex who uses the principles of no dig, a non-cultivation method to create a wealth of vegetables. Jack's market garden in Essex is a regenerative farm where Jack explores the positive environmental impact of growing your own vegetables without compromising on taste or variety. His method of urban farming gives him healthy produce and a taste which keeps customers coming back for more, Jack says. Jack grows niche varieties of vegetables that are uncommon and gives a different nutritional complex, which is also really easy on the eye. I absolutely love this episode. Jack is a wealth of knowledge in this area and considering the current climate, it's a really fantastic time to learn to grow your own vegetables. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please don't forget to comment, like and share and also leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, Jack. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I think now is an important time to get this message out as well, especially after, as we spoke before about the bushfires. I think people are looking for practical ways to implement, try and do that just that bit more than potentially like being vegan is, is great and does and cuts a lot of things down. But I feel like you could do that one step more. And that is kind of where I can, what I do can mm guide you along that way yeah 100 what's up guys welcome to jack's patch i'm jack coming to you from a plastic bottle greenhouse where we talk about permaculture upcycling zero waste off-grid living and hacks on how to grow organic veggies so before we go into everything all the amazing things you're doing now with your life um let's go back in time Uh, i always like to ask our guests their vegan story or their plant-based story how did you discover the lifestyle uh, and where did it all begin for you yeah i'm gonna go back even further than that where i feel like my connection to food come in and that was back in 2014 i was traveling australia i needed to do my farm work because i wanted to stay an extra year so luckily a guy come in the hostel said he needed some uh farm work done sent us to his farm and uh, the idea was that he would sign us off if we just worked for him but we we ended up working for food and the signature to stay there in australia yeah, so it was a permaculture farm. I'd never come across, never done any kind of farm work, been on a farm, see how it ran. The food we was having on the table was, the, the miles was literally 10 paces from the, the garden to the kitchen. And I, I still to this day say that was the first time I ate vegetables 
or like real food because up to that point I'd just go to a place like a cafe and order something just to fill myself up not to eat the food because I wanted to eat good food the food blew me away I say it was like the first time I had a tomato was there a league potato it was just everything was so abundant the colors coming through and the taste was unbelievable and I feel like that's something clicked in my brain was like this is how to eat and how long ago was that uh, 2014 okay that was my introduction to organic food and then when I come home and realized the lack of organic food in London and the accessibility was hard that's when I got into my story uh, farming but then as that takes you down the rabbit hole then you start to watch documentaries uh, get introduced to certain things and I I went to uh, VegFest 2016 as a meat eater mm. uh, did someone was, drag you along yeah um, <laughs> Momo Oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah. So she, she took. Shout out to Momo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she took me down, but it was just from then onwards. Yeah, just a few documentaries I watched that just being a lover of animals, I started to realize I was being a part of the problem and not the solution. And that's when I was, I saw Cowspiracy and I think Food Matters and what some of it just showed slaughterhouse footage. And I was like, no, that's it. Like that is now in the coffee. And that's when I'm not. And since that day, I've, I've not ate meat. And then, yeah, it just got easier and easier and become vegan, like, within weeks. Mm. Uh, just realised I was being a part of this horrendous industry. And, um, yeah, then the rabbit went down the rabbit hole and I've never come out. <laughs> I feel like it takes people like myself to, like, just take that step and, and do something different. Even if people are laughing at you at first or think it's a bit different, like, they will come round. Like, they will see that it's the right thing to do. So... You obviously grew up in Essex, not mm -hmm. obviously, but you grew up in Essex. Um, talk us through and tell us about life in Essex as a young man and the food culture that you were surrounded by when you grew up in Essex. I'd say the food culture, there was none. Really, it was just, as I said before, like food just to eat. Mm. The word vegan or vegetarian, I'd actually never met a vegetarian until like 20 12 when I was at a summer camp and I remember it being a big thing that he was a vegetarian what kind of what was the kind of food that you grew up on what, what kind of dishes and meals <sighs> were you given as a child to be fair my mum and my like my nan weren't a bad cook so like Sunday roasts yeah. um but the yeah it was like meat and two veg yeah pretty much like spaghetti bolognese but it was always like yeah meat veg and like potatoes, et cetera, et cetera. But it just never went through my mind, like what I was eating. And if anyone said about Slaughterhouse, like, oh, that's where meat comes from. I was like, no, 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 don't, just don't tell me. Like, I don't want to know. I blocked it out. I never made the connection, but I loved animals and I, I knew it happened. And I remember like being 16 and actually thinking, like looking in the supermarket and seeing how many like chickens were on the shelf and then think, oh, how many supermarkets are in the world? And then restaurants and cafes thinking, oh my God, like that's the amount of animals that are killed. Like it must be millions like daily. And still like it still never clicked. It just was like, oh, well, I don't know. I feel like you always feel like because you're not killing it, you're not doing any any bad. But um, yeah, I just think you, you come into it once you start exposing yourself and being open minded. And I think traveling made me open minded and you're just eating different foods, uh, seeing different things and being exposed on that farm was the first time really I, got, I made that connection to my food. And that was at the age of 20, 24, 25 do you think as a, a young British man that there's a real issue 
with British people and their relationship with food. You know, I've been in England for 22 years. I grew up in Africa and, you know, I saw how our food came from. It was a very close relationship with what we ate, the vegetables, the animals. In my 22 years in England, I've experienced people who don't even know what a lot of fruits and vegetables are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who've never been on a farm, who've never been near a cow or a chicken or a pig, their, their only relationship with meat or vegetables is in a supermarket. Everything's sanitized and homogenized and cleaned and packaged. And, you know, do you feel like growing up in this culture has kind of, it separated you from your food? Definitely. I, I've said it in a few talks as well. I, I didn't have an avocado until I went to Australia at 24, which is embarrassing. And I didn't, like, funny enough, now I'm what I do, the little amount of veggies I knew I could tell you was so, so small or actually what they look like coming out the ground because you see them packaged mm. um, but the where I live so close to London I think you are disconnected it is just you never see the process you you see the animals in the countryside when you drive that little bit further out but there is absolutely no connection to to your food here and our food culture is everyone else's food culture mm. so it's like Chinese Indian mm. we lack our own food i think maybe fish and chips and like sunday roast is like the closest thing to english mm. food but even those i think if you look at the history of them they come from other parts of the world yeah definitely <laughs> I, I think i went all the way to new zealand and they were going yeah fish and chips are our thing and i was like no 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 but i i think we've stole it from mm. somewhere else we don't really have much of a food culture here mm. and we have we can grow so many amazing fruit and veggies in this country and i've got a little story as well where in costa rica um when I was doing my permaculture course, a guy tried to pull me in a bar, uh, just tried to buy, like, saying, like, he was trying to sell drinks. Mm. And he went, you American? I went, no, no, I'm English. And he put his hat, like, hands on his head. And he was like, oh, my God, you're from the land of carrots. <laughs> and I was just like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, carrot juice is amazing for you, um, all the vitamins in carrots. And because I was doing the permaculture course and... When I was in uh, Costa Rica, I was like, oh, it's amazing to have moringa, uh, go-to cola, uh, mangoes, papaya, like every day out there and then buying it in is like, we call it superfood. But in this country, we have superfood. Yeah. We have what, like that food, like carrots are expensive for them because it's harder for them to grow. Mm. But we have all these vitamins and minerals here. And I think we overlook like certain produce. Um, and we're super lucky, but we just need to make that connection. And I feel the whole farm to table movements like slowly growing amongst chefs um, and small scale farmers in this country because I'm in that scene and I'm seeing it grow. So I think we are slowly going to make that connection more and more. So when cutting mint guys, uh, find a mint bush. This is at my allotment. Um, it's gone wild over the, over the last few years. Um, so yeah, what you want to do is just cut above uh, just above the node of two leaves. That way it can get new growth in the in between the leaf and the stem and that way you get a bushier plant and that lives on and then your new cutting you just need to take the bottom leaves off, pop it in water and then the roots will start to form. How much can we grow in this country and what kind of stuff can we grow? Um, near enough most things. Uh, you got to knock stuff on the head like <laughs> bananas, mangoes, pineapples. But there Could is. Can we not grow those indoors? Uh, yeah, so Eden Project, mm -hmm. they, they show you can do it. We can do it. Mm. Um, the systems are there to like grow this sort of stuff indoors. But I successfully grew 
sweet potatoes okay. last year, which is, they say like, oh, it's hard to do because we're not getting the sun. But we, we do get the sun in the summer. We get like super hot. We get like lengthy summers mm-hmm. um, now. And I'm going to grow ginger this year. It's just like you kind of mimic its environment mm. and, and it's and it's possible here. Yeah. Do you think with Brexit coming, do you think we're going to see more farms growing things a little more locally? Because obviously... With all the trading yeah. laws changing, it's going to be we're going to be forced to grow more stuff locally, right? Yeah, I, I think it will almost go through a stage of collapse. Mm. Um, I spoke to a farmer who he had like hun- hundred and five thousand acres, and they get paid by EU to literally sit on a tractor and literally farm fields of almost nothing, um, and it's like. If you have more land, so if you cut more trees to make more land, more farmable land, uh, they just give you this whopping check at the end of the year and say thank you. But there's no initiative for the big farmers to plant trees, um, rewild, etc. But in saying that, I feel like when we come out of Brexit, a lot of like small scale farmers will will kind of be winning and the whole regenerative movement we have to move into it um these farmers are going to be panicked into making a change so it, it could go, have a real positive impact on on the country and bringing local food back um and also there is amazing rewilding project called nep in um i think, I think it's in hertfordshire k-n-e-p-p okay. i believe um and we'll put any links to these kind of things in yeah, the description for people to look up it's so inspiring it's a, a former industrial agriculture farmland and they were almost like breaking even every year they weren't making a lot of money um like most farms what they've done is they completely rewilded the whole thing so they let let nature take over a lot of native species come back a lot of trees come back they bring in all native animals to the uk um and they just leave them let them do their thing and the amount of biodiversity now there they're seeing like butterflies certain beetles that you can't find anywhere else in the country but they're thriving there and, and those farmers are now making money because they've got airbnb they do sof- like safaris tourism. where yeah 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 um but it's all it's it looks beautiful mm. um they're sequestering a lot of carbon back into the ground the whole ecosystem of that place is, is booming and it's just a map for other farmers to look at and go oh i can do the same mm. so i'm quite I feel quite positive because of a lot of things I expose myself to and and know about that this is possible. It's a very exciting subject and there's almost so much I want to talk to you about that I'm Mm. not sure where to even begin because there's so many important topics, particularly rewilding. We live in a country where I think some 60% of our land is is taken up by animal agriculture. And like in places like Wales where, you know, the rolling hills are completely covered in sheep munching away on the grass. Um, And a lot of these, you know, farmers make claims that, you know, farming in this way sequesters carbon from the atmosphere. But in my opinion, you know, rewilding is is what we should be doing. You know, animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate greenhouse gases, you know, river acidification, ocean dead zones because of, you know, nitrogen runoff. Mm. To me, it's a kind of madness that we are spending and using all these natural resources for a product, you know, dare I call animals a product, for a food source that is not the most nutrient, it's not the most efficient way to gather nutrients, but it's also um, incredibly damaging to our environment and it doesn't bring in as much money as you would think, but yet we keep on doing it. 
it's subsidized as yeah. well it's like we we work so hard to get so little yeah. or from from animal products and it's just um now, now i do what well, i do like grow, uh, growing fruits and veg and the quality of them and, and the amount of people i can get that to on a small scale yeah. it's just it's a bit of a no-brainer for me that that's where that's the main food source that is where it should be coming from there is regenerative i do a lot of regenerative farming um so practices like permaculture like no dig which benefit everyone and everything that is involved the ecosystem the insects animals in that system as well they like live wild and free and we can go into that a little bit more if you want to. But. No, absolutely. So the, why is rewilding an important thing for us to be considering in a place like the United Kingdom? Um, because we have an absolutely huge arid farm, like as, a, as I was saying, the farmable, arable land that is just literally sitting there dormant. When these tractors till this land, they are releasing carbon into the atmosphere at like a ridiculous rate so if we looked at rewilding those areas there's so much of it when you fly over the uk that is what you see you see a lot of green but you see a lot of pasture it's just if we went back and rewilded that put wildflowers etc we can turn this whole country into like the most biodiverse place on the planet but we need this for carbon uh, sequest carbon back into the soil there's just endless 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 it, it, positives yeah there is yeah. too many like too many positives but, but why does there seem to be uh, a reluctant you know we know this is a reality these environmental practices improve the countryside and mitigate the climate crisis that's incoming why does it seem to be happening so slowly why we've probably known this stuff for decades right yeah so why does there seem to be such resistance to it and oh yeah we'll do it by 2050 or 2100 it's too late by then yeah I think it's always follow the money. Mm. Who is making money from these systems? Yeah. Also, like the amount of fuel being used to like ship all this animal food to the animals. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of money where it, it shouldn't be. And so things like regenerative agriculture can turn it around. And it's um, like regenerative farming, no dig, permaculture, all this sort of stuff can help communities, help people, uh, bring back jobs, because it could be very um, labour-intensive as well. But also your mental health. There's so many boxes it ticks that I see as a bit of a no-brainer, but there is people like myself and there's a few other farmers around the country and we're all collectively trying to get people together to learn about it. Um, the great thing about being on this podcast is the amount of people I could potentially reach and talk about how we can actually do it from... If, if, whether you live in an apartment, whether you've got a garden, allotment, any space like these, like permaculture uh, is in place that we can turn things like an abandoned car parks into mini farms. Mm. And there's kind of no excuse now to not grow food. Sure. Um, do, you if, want, do you want to explain a bit about, for those who don't know, what does permaculture mean? Yeah. I was, I'm going to start off by, like, I've really struggled to try and put it in a nutshell. Mm. But I saw a beautiful YouTube comment the other day and it was saying, be more like a bee not a locust so locust being monoculture permaculture being the bee and uh, the locust its idea is to go in and destroy and take everything and degrade everything that's there and moves on so that's exactly what we're doing in monoculture where we're tilling the soil till the nutrients are gone desertifying that land and then moving on where the bee floats around plant to plant pollinating giving fruits to us animals um it's purely selfless 
it's about community so it works for the common good of everything else and that's what permaculture is it's trying to improve uh, soil quality uh, water uh, sustainable building um, and yeah the health of others and also being it's about being a part of the ecosystem not trying to control it so we are a part in that that whole that whole cog and it's just if we mimic nature through design what nature's perfect so if we do that then we can flourish and live in abundance would you say that permaculture is symbiotic and monoculture is parasitic absolutely that is perfect it's completely symbiotic as a symbiotic relationship with everything nature Mm. everything involved within permaculture i definitely recommend the listeners to just google the hell out of it have you Uh, got any books or organizations that we could look up that you recommend that people can check out or if they're interested in permaculture growing their own fruits and vegetables yeah i put out loads of free stuff on my newsletters and i always direct to other people that are doing it jeff loughton on youtube uh, john d lu he done a an amazing documentary on the Chinese plateau, the size, uh, it was an area the size of Holland that got degraded and it looked like a desert, like mountains been et by the animals. It was overgrazed. And with the use of permaculture, um, he got the people to fix the land in a way so much that within 10 years, it turned from a desert to an abundant food forest. And that was the most heartwarming thing I've ever seen, like turnaround I've ever seen where the people went back to the land. They, the, income i think it all tripled from the the amount of fruits and veg that was coming out of it um everyone was happy um it brought back the community together um and we can do that here in the uk oh there's endless stuff i'll say youtube it go on instagram look at the hashtag hashtag yeah, is up maybe to put some links 100 in the description yeah uh, and maybe some places for people to get started that would be great there's obviously so many interconnecting topics into food and our mm-hmm. culture um one of the biggest problems uh that i think that we face that i find you know it's almost too too big of a problem to even try and think about is food waste. Some 30% of food produced is, in, is ends up in the bin, yeah. or it ends up in landfill, it ends up being thrown away before it leaves the farm. And then when food gets to people's homes, at least 30% ends up in the bin as well. Yeah. So at the end of the day, once all this has been removed, how much are people actually eating? Yeah. And how much are we wasting? Are we wasting up, up to what, 60% of the food that we make? Mm-hmm. Or what are some of the latest numbers? Have you got any that you can recall that would tell us how bad the problem is well all this food that's being wasted the way we dispose of that as well is is completely wrong we're putting it in landfill where it can like where it needs to be going back onto the soil we need to be com if we compost that that we're literally throwing away soil because it can break down into soil and then that soil getting put back on the land is fertile and then can sequest more carbon and so that is just a broken system altogether we need to be looking at more closed loop systems where it avoids the bin as much as possible yeah. so at the minute the eu like a cucumber most of my veg would have wouldn't have made supermarkets this year because it's too wonky like the i think if a cucumber has a 10 degree bend the eu said that's not good enough to make a supermarket why, why is there's and why is there an obsession in what in the western world with perfect fruit and veg i think it's people want to see perfection really uh yeah and that's through purely so it's not advertisement. To do with how they're packed and like the way they're laid out it's more a lot of it is us right. they think the consumer wants like the perfect apple the perfect peppers so right. that 
it they say it goes on um the analytic like how people perceive Pick that them. that f- yeah so oh, like they relieve the ugly ones right um and that's just human nature isn't it mm. we kind of want perfection mm. and it even goes down to our food mm. so we're going to the supermarket and we're picking the best of the best mm. which everyone does no matter I, I think just psychological psychological yeah exactly um and this whole thing where wonky veggies being sold like either cheaply or whatever that has probably exactly the same nutrients etc yeah they just it just hasn't made the the supermarket checklist of there's how it should look a few supermarkets have experimented with this haven't they I think it's Lidl have done mm. a wonky fruit box and there's a, a company here in the UK called um, Oddbox yep. that deliver wonky fruits and vegetables to people's homes and they're incredibly popular and I think a lot of people have said they these brands say they can't keep up with the demand so there seems to be this like disconnect between what the manufacturers think the consumer wants and what a lot of consumers want but then we do live in this sort of ethical liberal bubble where mm. we are around people who would be happy to have a wonky banana yeah, or a wonky yeah. I don't care the shape of the fruit and vegetable <laughs> as long as it has the right nutrients yeah and it's not covered in pesticides that's all I that's all I care about exactly yeah exactly trends are changing as well people's mindsets are changing uh thanks to documentaries and also the internet is just exposing all this nonsense yeah. altogether but yeah i just if to get the most nutrients you can buy local mm-hmm. grow your own like this is what i live and breathe now i'm super passionate about it and i'm trying to get it out there as much as possible and i know people say like oh i don't have time but I've even got systems of how it's kind of giving people no excuse to to not do it. And also, when you look at how sick everyone's getting, um, it's, it's in our food and we don't see it. It's, we can't measure it until our generation hasn't reached to 60 yet when all the eating years and years of foods with pesticides on, etc., where we need to be really focusing on on buying going that extra mile to buy a local and also support like there's a whole support system of you're supporting like a local economy local farmers i think as well within the vegan world we need to there's a big push against obviously there's a big push against farmers but there's also the little guys who are producing fruit and veggies that are pretty much can can save it we could turn it around but tell us about, so a lot of people want to grow their own fruits and vegetables. Yep. My family back in Africa have been trying to grow tomatoes and cabbages and pumpkins and all kinds of things in mm. their garden. And they struggle with pests. And my parents don't really want to cover everything with nasty chemicals. But, you know, as a small grower, how do you deal with that? So two systems I've mentioned already in the podcast are no-dig and permaculture. So... Uh, the no dig system is saving a lot of work on your back. So I'd literally do not dig the soil at all. So by feeding the soil, so like grass, cardboard on top, which is overlayered, and then just compost on top and you can plant straight away and, and get going. And that's uh, the no dig system. That is the no dig system. And I recommend people to look into that as well. It's a no brainer. It's like the yields are super high as well for a lot less work. So it won't discourage people away from doing gardening now because it's it's making it easier and easier. And it's also by feeding the soil um, and doing it this way, you don't get weeds. Like I've got a quarter of an acre and my weed pressure is one hour weeding a week. Where when I had an allotment, it was like that is most of my time gone weeding. By f- feeding the soil, you're not damaging the soil. And I always say once you till it and bring it up, 
the reason we get weeds is to cover the soil. It's doing a protection. So the whole word recover is re- recovering the soil. So I don't see weeds as bad. They're doing a good job for the soil. But if we look after the soil, feed it, it will feed us. And with permaculture, talking about pests, the ecosystem is always a unbalanced. So if you're getting lots of slugs, you need to encourage things like hedgehogs, ducks so add water to your like garden uh, to encourage ducks hedgehogs frogs and it's just getting that ecosystem balance right as well and also a lot of interplanting so interplanting flowers with your veggies uh, you're bringing in the right pollinators and the good insects eat the bad insects and it's just uh, just trying to get that balance right and then you don't need pesticides you're just working with nature and I think we've gone so far against nature, we just throw chemicals on it and uh, it's a completely backward system. But if we work it, the answer is always the same. Just go back to nature and it, and it does it for you. What kind of damage are pesticides, herbicides and fungicides doing to the soil and us? It's not irreversible, but what it does to the soil and to the pests, like 10 years ago, you used to be able to drive down the road and you would be wiping Pet, like you'll be wiping insects off your windshield and now you're not even yeah you get you're not even doing that anymore it's having a massive effect on the whole ecosystem because the bugs that come in and and get sprayed they're then potentially being eaten by the predators and it's getting in that food chain and it's and then it's getting in us on the food uh, there is foods where you can get away with it not being organic there's a harder shell so it doesn't penetrate like pineapples avocados the dirty dozen and the yeah. clean clean something yeah <laughs> anything you're going to eat the skin of the leaf off i would say just buy organic mm-hmm. just because you can't trust it now but there's there's a lot of contra- contradictory information out there a lot of articles and organizations that say it's these pesticides are they're in safe on in safe levels that we shouldn't worry and that organic is a fad and that it's for only rich middle class white people yeah it it shouldn't be called organic the other stuff should be called chemical Mm. oh i'm going to buy a chemical carrot because that's what it is organic is the natural process and and that's what it that's what it always has been but, um, but don't we use pesticides on organic farming yeah, up to 30%. So sometimes it's really not worth the extra buck in places. Um, if you can buy it local, you pro- you can actually talk to local farmers at your local farmer's market and, and then ask. So by law, I've not like signed myself as organic um, because I kind of don't, I don't actually believe the paper it's written on. I'll have to pay £700 a year to say organic but then that allows me to if i wanted to spray up to 30 percent pesticides which i just don't agree what with what kind of pesticides specific organic pesticides or just anything i don't think pesticides are, can be organic like because I've, uh, I've read that you can get pesticides that are more biodegradable and others that are that hang around in the bio, in the in ecosystem much much longer yeah that i mean there's stuff like roundup yeah which well, is just horrendous stuff um yeah known to cause cancer in humans and yet we spray it on everything yep Yep, and it also once it hits the soil, apparently that soil is tainted for up to fifty years before it can be legally called like organic again. Yeah. Um, it, it has is, a, it is a kind of madness what we're doing, isn't it? Yeah, and that those companies with the it's all not extra nitrogen that that wasn't used in wars from previous. So it's like now these bombs are they're using the chemical from bombs on our food. Uh, yeah, it is completely bonkers. We just need to go back to basics i really want to just encourage people to grow their own food that that ease the satisfaction like the the taste benefits are unbelievable once you start feeding the soil 
it has that different flavor profile as well. And I think once you taste food that you've grown, you kind of don't want to go back. Like, oh, I hate winter that I can't have my own tomatoes because I, I know what real tomatoes taste like. So it's a bit of a, I try, I try and avoid them and eat local. Eat seasonally is a big thing as well because yeah. you can buy more from the UK once you eat seasonal produce. Don't try and buy strawberries in like December. It is a strange thing. Like 20, 30 years ago, you could not get all these fruits and vegetables all year round. Mm. You couldn't buy strawberries and asparagus all year round. You would only eat it when it was available uh, locally or if it was shipped in. So we live in this strange world where we just have access to all the fruits and vegetables at all times whenever we want. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when things are shipped uh, from or flown from other countries, say New Zealand, for example, a lot of apples come from New Zealand. And what a lot of people don't know is that apples can be picked, placed inside a container filled with God knows what kind of gases. They mm -hmm. put all kinds of strange gases in these containers, suck out all the air, and they can sit in there for six months. Yep. A fruit didn't evolve for it to be taken from a tree and sit in a dark room for six months. Mm -hmm. That tree wants you, well, the evolution of that fruit is, is such that it is meant to mature on the tree. You take it off, you eat it, and then, you know, the seeds go in the soil and the tree then sprouts again. That's the function of a fruit. Yep. But we have twisted the way nature functions and works. Because, I mean, the fruit, for example, is the sex organ of a plant. Yeah. You know, we as humans, I've forgotten the name of the man, but there's this amazing scientist who talks about how humans have become the creatures we are because of fruit. That when we have consumed fruit throughout our entire evolution, that the fruit itself has allowed us to, it allowed and extended our our childhood years that our brains could grow much, much bigger in our skulls. And as ape-like creatures, it's had a huge role in uh, developing who we are as people. But now, because of the way the modern food systems work with the low nutrient levels in, in many fruits and vegetables, that the human brain is actually starting to shrink, that over time we're, be we're becoming less and less intelligent as creatures yeah. because the kinds of foods that we're eating are becoming less and less of the original type of food they are, like a tomato that you buy in Tesco's, which is shipped in from a giant warehouse in Spain, and not a warehouse, a hydro, not hydroponic, what's it, those big... Um, polytunnel. Yeah, yeah, polytunnel type place where it was picked when it's probably green um, and there's nothing in it and you taste it and it just tastes like water. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the the taste of everything is it's, it's dead. Mm. That food is dead. Uh, the nutritional benefit of food now is like uh, you have to eat five tomatoes from the supermarket now to get the nutrition of one from the 1950s. Mm. But that's why... I think I'm, I'm just so passionate about what I do because I realize the travel time from my food to restaurants or if people do a food box is that day, it's within hours. That's how it should be. Yeah, yeah totally. I think corn, it might even be 20 minutes before it's nutritionally dead. Mm. So like you've never eaten corn that's When you say nutritionally nutrition. dead, do you mean like sort of the nutrients, like the vitamin C, for example, oxidized, so yeah. it no longer is... Pointless. So if you measure the vitamin C levels of corn that's been out for like three weeks that it's, yeah, it's, it's basically just sugar and nothing else. Yeah, so uh, that whole, what you're saying about it, traveling from like New Zealand, etc. like we just should be trying to eat as much local food as possible. Like I know that asparagus grows here like wonderfully during most uh, like spring, summer, autumn. And then yeah, I'll go in M&S Waitrose and it's from Peru or Kenya. And I'm like, how the amount of times that, that has got there, the packaging involved. Uh, we are just, God, we're burning, burning like the candle at just like. It's crazy, but then there's also the matter of like di diversity as well. You know, yeah. carrots, tomatoes, apples come in 
thousands of varieties and species. And because again of like this idea of perfection, we've watered down what we eat to three or four species. Like carrots used to have 100%. different shapes and sizes and colors, purple carrots, orange carrots. Yeah. There were other colors, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the original color of the carrot was like uh, purple, white, yellow. There was di different colors. And I think it was the Dutch king. I think like his farmer liked to please the Dutch king. He cultivated a carrot orange. Mm. And that's why like the carrot is orange because they're the Dutch. Yeah. But there, there's a shocking, shocking stat where 94% of our seed diversity has been wiped out since the 20th century. So you've got to think 94% of all that food, diversity, flavor, cuisine that we will never get back, it's gone. It's completely gone. Um, so we're messing with the 6% we have left. And even the supermarket walls are so... Even that is like a percent of a percent because you see the same color carrots, same color peppers. This is a big thing. That's why I try and make my farm different. I'm not trying to grow the same as the supermarket. I try and grow seeds that are like heritage, rare, that are organic and trying to keep that seed going. Uh, like I had chocolate peppers, black tomatoes, yellow courgettes. Um, I've got loads of different species of kale, white kale, purple kale. Oh, like three different types of beetroot, candy beetroot. And when I show it to chefs or I put it in a food box, people are like, oh my God, what's that? What's that? And then we cook it and it's just a different flavor profile. So you're getting different antioxidants from different stuff. Anything that's purple and orange has a great antioxidant profile. Yeah, and all this food people are missing out on. So like I'm having my little battle out there in Essex trying to get people to eat this food and get the message out there and... Um, so far, like getting a lot of traction lately from people reaching out, wanting to know more. And I think people are waking up to it. And this is a practical way where you can sequester carbon, even just growing a couple of veggies in your garden. Every kilo of vegetables, you can sequester two kilograms of carbon. So you're doing your bit, even if, even if it's in your backyard. So you can go beyond being vegan and people going, oh, yeah, but you get chickpeas from so-and-so. That's another thing I want to say. There's growers in the UK growing chickpeas, chia seeds, quinoa. And quinoa is a big thing. Yeah. Vegans are often accused of destroying ecosystems in South America because we want to buy our quinoa from Brazilians. Yeah. But you can grow it in the UK. Yep. Uh, these Shout are out to Hodmadods. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you said that. They're probably going to get bombarded now. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the beauty of it, we can grow it in the UK. That becomes available and then we kind of our argument is almost like foolproof then because you're doing your extra bit if you're growing your food you're getting your stuff from uk growers people can't say oh yeah but your food comes from here and here and here but yeah we're just uh we're trying to make ourselves bulletproof <laughs> so tell us about jack's patch um tell us about your patch of lands <laughs> and what you grow there and and how has it been going there and how long have you been doing that I've come back from Australia in 2015. As I said, I was a bit disillusioned with like the organic uh, situation in London. And after being inspired in Australia to farm, I got an allotment like every 25-year-old does. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, just started doing For my thing. For those who are obviously not British, what's an allotment? In it's the... like a community garden. Yeah. So you have like your own patch of land. Um, can everyone get one? Uh, yeah, it's ac accessible to everyone, but they're super hard to get because a lot of like the older generation, once they get them, they get them. And it's really like a lot. There's waiting lists in London mm. for like years to right. just just to get one. But, but not impossible. You just have to wait. Not impossible. But I got mine within a week. Mm. So where I lived, it was just really easy. And I think people get disillusioned and give them up. But I feel like if you 
if you feel a little bit uh, nervous to start one, start one with a group of friends and then you can all share the responsibility and you can grow enough food in a really small, really small space to like feed you for the summer, like you and your friends. Started off with an allotment, then done a f- first year, had a bit of success um, and then wanted to learn more and I l- like linked it in with my love for traveling so I went to Costa Rica and I've done a permaculture course in Costa Rica uh, there are ones in the UK you don't have to go that far I just wanted to throw myself in the deep end threw myself into the deep into the jungle of Costa Rica booked it on the Thursday I was there on the Saturday and then I spent three weeks geeking hard about plants and all things permaculture so this place was an edible food forest so it was like a plant-based version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> so every, amazing. 90% of everything on the farm was edible, if not medicinal. It was literally reaching across from the table and picking plants to go on your plate. But the beauty of this place was even the pathways going around the farm had like this matted grass. And I remember one day the guy was like, pick up the grass. And he pulled it up and there was peanuts. So the peanuts were growing under the soil and shooting up a grass shoot. Yeah, so everything was edible, even the pathways. Uh, it was it was absolutely paradise. There was like plants that gave natural shampoo outside the showers. It was pretty unbelievable. But you can kind of mimic that here in in certain aspects with following permaculture principles. But yes, yeah, so went from there, come back with my knowledge, applied it again another year at the allotment. But then I was posting a lot on Instagram, and these two yogi girls one of them said my nan's gonna love this kid so she was like he's she's got a load of land went met the nan nan is a grandma yeah grandma sorry <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about international <laughs> listeners so there was a huge greenhouse and a quarter of an acre land and she was like jack if you want it it's yours so she literally handed my dream on a plate and then i knew it was going to take a, a lot of effort to get it it was going from like a few square feet to like a quarter of an acre it's a massive jump but I knew I could do it. It was just the absolute, my passion was to do that. So the last year I've been cultivating with no digging permaculture principles, a quarter of an acre, been selling to chefs, uh, selling to local restaurants, uh, doing food boxes. I'm going to start up a little like little market on the weekends at my place as well as coming into London more. But yeah, this diversity of food and being a part of your community as well has just caused a lot of stir. And um, yeah, it's just getting real food to people again and getting maximum benefit to the people um, because I've seen how lacking we are, especially in a massive city like London and it's needed. So, And now I'm doing a lot of workshops this year. So I've done one last year as a test uh, with Momo um, and we've done a vegan workshop. So it's accessible to anyone and everyone but it's just trying to show people how to grow food and then also we pick harvest and we eat the food on the day as well to show people like this is how real food tastes like and then you go home with a little goodie bag and not a lot of knowledge amazing before i let you go uh, i always like to ask my guests this one final question uh, if you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig <laughs> and I, get, I had to give you one book one vegan dish and one music album what would you take with you? All right, that's good. So one book, I would definitely it'd be me being a geek, be like permaculture. Bill Mollison is like a Bible of permaculture because if I'm on an island, I want to know how to make shelter, try and get some food, etc. The pig would be my mate, 
hundred because I feel like I'd go mad without talking <laughs> to some uh, talking to for like twenty five years. So oh, that's got, perfect. You know. Yes, <laughs> and um, probably will eat better than me as well. Um, but meal wise, what so any meal? What's your favorite meal? Oh, it sounds. Even though I've been talking about how healthy my farm is, is burger. It's probably like a big dirty ve- vegan burger, and peanut butter milkshake as well with. I had I'll Genesis. I had Gen- yeah. I had Genesis. Uh, the peanut butter milkshake, mm. and yeah, it's, it's my new addiction. Amazing. Um, and what music album would you have with you? This is such a good question. Sticky Fingers, Australian band. Um, it's just chill vibes. It's slightly reggae, so I can watch it on sunsets. Mm-hmm. That would be good choice. Yeah, Mr. Jack Hodgensek, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We could talk a lot more, and I think we'll have to do a part two sometime in the future. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. I'll see you next time on the podcast. Please don't forget to comment, like, and share. It really helps get the message out there. If you're on iTunes, please do leave a review. That also helps us too. See you next time. <laughs>